Well, in just a second, we will uh, be looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. This will be our uh, 11th week through uh, Colossians, and we really have spent almost all of summer in it, and so we'll wrap up our our series through Colossians next week. Uh, Before that, though, just a few things for you to kind of know about. If parking was a little bit more challenging this week or last week, you probably noticed that it was because there's a big fence around the parking lot that we used to use. Uh, There's a hotel, if you didn't know, that's going to be built right there. And so I like to think of these things as good problems because in the immediate future, it's kind of a problem. Our parking situation is a little bit different. But, but picture this as we think about the months and years ahead of this hotel going up on a, on a weekly basis. Hundreds of people will be through here right next door that maybe wander through the coffee shop and in here on a Sunday morning. And so what an opportunity actually to share the gospel, to worship alongside of other believers who might be visiting in this area. And so actually I think this is going to be a great thing for um, our church, for this building, for actually the city. But... It is a problem in the immediate future. So I'm going to ask you this. As you think about visitors or those with young kids, and we have a lot of young kids in this church. You'll hear them often during confession or running around uh, in between services. If you don't have young kids or uh, are able to walk and maybe get here a few minutes earlier, I would encourage you to find parking somewhere just around on a Sunday morning downtown. There's parking all around us, and, and we'll work through some solutions for that. But if you spend two extra minutes. I think that'd be a blessing uh, to visitors or to those with families or who aren't able to walk as far. So I'd encourage you to to keep that in mind. Let's see what else. Josh, who uh, led worship and spoke last week, asked me uh, to bring up if you are a musician or sing, he would love the opportunity to, to get to know you. Um, you've seen quite a few new people up here playing, and Josh wants to continue to build that worship team. And so if you have interest or, or gifting in that area, if you could email josh at restorationaz.org. Uh, he's waiting for your email and would love to connect with you. Lastly, I think, nope, second to last, uh, I've mentioned a few times throughout summer we've been doing this thing called story time for uh, our, our kids here at the church or kids just in the city and community. And it's been pretty incredible to watch throughout summer. Whitney's led this uh, venture and Wednesdays from, or at 9.30 every week there's just been tons of kids packed into either the pre-K room or as of last week we moved it into what we call the studio which is in the far end of the building we've been remodeling. And it's been pretty amazing to see Parents, both husbands and wives, grandparents, aunts and uncles, just caretakers with these kids on a weekly basis, just getting to enjoy what Whitney's done. So next week is the last week we'll be doing that. It's in the studio, which I I want you guys to have the opportunity to, to see soon. But do me a favor and thank Whitney, if you will. She's been a great blessing um, to our church and to this community. And I think oftentimes that goes unnoticed and unpraised. So will you do me a favor and just thank her for that? Because I think it's been really good. Uh, Next, we have a welcome lunch coming up in just a couple weeks, August 4th. And so I've talked to a lot of you who've uh, come to the church just recently. And if you have questions, want to get to know more about who we are, our story, what we're about, our vision, uh, that's just a great first step. We'll provide lunch after the second service here on uh, Sunday, August 4th in this room. And you'll get to hear more of our story, ask any questions that you have. And I think it's a, a perfect place to take your next step if you want to kind of join us as we're following uh, Jesus together in the everyday stuff of life. So with that in mind, if you have a Bible, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. 
I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Uh, Once again, as really the whole letter has been, this passage is centered and founded. It's built upon uh, the gospel. If we look at verses 3 and 4, Paul says, At the same time, pray that God may open a door to us for this message, which is the gospel. He refers to that as the mystery of the Messiah for which he is in prison. And, And so you have this interesting progression of language here. The message is the gospel. It's the mystery of the Messiah. Paul's in prison for it. And then he says that I may reveal it as I'm required to do. And so it begs the question, why is Paul required to speak of this message? The the gospel, this message is oftentimes referred to as good news. That's what gospel means, uh, good news. And so the gospel then of Jesus Christ is the good news about Jesus, this message of good news from Jesus. And so we talk about the gospel either directly or indirectly every single week, but I wonder how often do we actually ponder like deeply, what is it? What is this good news? And here's a a question I want to pose to you. What is the good in the good news? You don't need to answer that out loud, but think about that for a second. Like, what actually is the good? What we're here because of this good news. We sing to a God because of this good news. But what actually defines in your life, in this world, the good that we refer to as the good news? Think about that for a second. This whole passage is built on that. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer for and because of the, the gospel. Act and speak in a certain way for and because of the gospel. So what is the good in the good news? That's what we're going to spend time discussing this morning. And I don't know how you answered that, um, but we're going to discuss it. You could do it in multiple ways, but today, kind of with a four-part framework. Uh, The good news of Jesus Christ is good news globally. It's good news personally. It's good news eternally. And it's good news immediately. Globally personally, eternally, and immediately. And so that's kind of going to be the the framework for this morning. What actually is this good news? And so we'll we'll start with the global concept uh, of which Paul was in prison and eventually would give up his life, of which we talked about last week with Ed. People were killed, burnt at the stake alive for this book to spread the good news. We need to take time to actually understand what it is that people were willing to pay such a high price for. As we think about the global picture, we think of the promise that the scriptures give. Jesus says over and over again, the kingdom of heaven is near or the kingdom of God is near. And so we talk about just breaking that language down. Kingdom kind of has two main words, right? King and domain. So it's the domain, the area in which a king rules or reigns or has authority. And so the global good news is this, that one day Jesus is going to come back. That, that one day there will, no, there will be no abuse or violence and, and racism and just 
ugliness in our world. There will be no cancer and hurt and pain and questioning. But that is not possible until Jesus returns. On that day, the world will be as it was meant to be. There will be peace. It will be whole. It's the thing that that songs are about, that movies are about. It's this picture that all of humanity wants. We want this thing, this world, this peace. But it's always, no matter how much technology or money or time or effort is poured in, it's always distant. It always stays at arm's length or, or much further. Because without Jesus, it's impossible. But he's promised to return. You could think about it this way. It's like when a child is calling for a parent to fix a broken toy or because they got hurt. And and the child cannot fix that thing by himself. There's no chance. But the parent comes in and does easily. That's what happens when Jesus returns. Or, Or the fact that cancer exists in this world, but a doctor that can cure it perfectly. That's what happens when Jesus restores brokenness to beautiful marriages that are crumbling and a counselor that that comes in and heals and restores perfectly. That's what happens when Jesus returns. A leader for this world who is perfect in every way and will not fail in any way. That's this global good news that one day there's hope when Jesus returns. The second component of this good news is what I'm going to refer to as personal good news. And all of these are interrelated. I actually think this is the one we think about the most because we think about ourselves a lot. Uh, But it's actually really easy to forget. And so I had a, I'm going to refer to it as an experience this week that I want to share with you. And and this kind of thing doesn't happen often, but it was very notable for me. I I think it was Friday night. It might have been Thursday. But I had just finally got my son to bed. Right now he takes forever. He's scared of everything. He's never seen a dinosaur, but dinosaurs are scary. And so it's like 20 trips back and forth to his room, right? And so by the end of that, you're a little bit agitated. And so finally, he's asleep. The girls are asleep, so I think. And I'm in bed talking to Chelsea, and all of a sudden I hear this, Daddy! 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 And in my mind, I'm like, brief moment of outrage, because it's my daughter, my oldest, Aaliyah. She's six, and I finally got Ellis to sleep. So I'm like, please don't wake up your brother! And so in this moment of a little bit of harshness, but also trying to be quiet, it's like a weird game, I'm like, shh, hoping he doesn't hear. And I run in there as fast as I can, and she's up on the top bunk. Her younger sister, Sienna's below. Sienna's, once Sienna falls asleep, it could be like an earthquake, hurricane, tornado. Like, she would never wake up, so she's out. And Aaliyah's here, and she tells me, I can't sleep, Daddy. And so it was, it was weird how the, I, I look and I make eye contact with her. And there's this moment of just deep love. Like I went from like, I just want to go to sleep to just deep love. And so I wrap both of my arms. I reach up because I'm short and it's a bunk bed. And I wrap both of my arms around her head and I'm just holding her. And it was, this was like 15 seconds, okay? But it felt like an hour. And I just look, look at her eyes and I tell her, baby girl, this is what I always tell her. Forever and always, I love you. And there was this 15 seconds that was just good. Like nothing else in the world matters, right? My love for her, you can't explain it. And so she calms down. She's going to go to bed. You can always tell too if they're going to fall asleep or not. She lays her head on her pillow. And then I turn to walk and I take two steps away. And I'm looking at the door. And then something happened. And again, this doesn't happen often. But I, I swear it was like time stopped. And it was almost as if this like bucket of water 
just came over my, my, my whole body and immersed me in it. And, and, and time stopped and, and I heard this voice or had this feeling or, or a thought placed in my head, however you want to think about it, right? Maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've not. But I hear this and it's like time stopped and this is what I heard. That's how I love you. And here's the thing, right? I'm a pastor. I remember when I was like seven and I was like afraid of hell. And I'm like, gosh, I wish I could just like understand it like that guy, whoever's teaching, right? Like, no, we forget that too. And I was, I was shocked. I was shocked. Okay, hear me on this. I was shocked that God would tell me in this moment. And I, I felt this. That's how I love you. Except it continued and it said, but perfectly. And it just washed over me like a peace. And in the midst of, of chaos in a day, I just go like, whoa. And so after this moment, and it felt like an hour, it was amazing. I walked to the bedroom, and Chelsea's there, and I go, do you ever think about the fact that God loves us like we love Aaliyah, except for, except for perfectly? God loves us like we love our children, except perfectly. And she had the same reaction to me. This is really fascinating. She goes, almost like, No. Like, I can't believe that. You, you can't wrap your arms around that and grasp it. Like, no, not really. It doesn't feel that way. And so it's interesting. I think culturally, if you think about your relationships, I think this is why divorce is so high. We oftentimes base our relationships on feelings. And even with our relationship with God, we often base it on feelings. So she goes, sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. So I had this moment of that feeling, but then I started to think through the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Sometimes God reveals to us in feelings. He speaks or gives a thought or this moment where I think the spirit just overwhelmed me and it was beautiful. But other times it's not that way. And so what do the scriptures say to ground us in this? And I've, I've felt compelled since, like that night I was up a lot praying because I thought about you, honestly. And I think, well, every one of us, but maybe there's specific people in this room to hear this mess, that need to hear this message that God loves you. And so I thought of Luke 15, and I want to spend some time there this morning. Jesus is speaking in front of tax collectors and religious leaders, and he puts this message out there in three different parables. Oftentimes we think of these separately, but they're all in this one instance. In this one setting, he shares these things. I want to share it with you. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Okay, the religious leaders are complaining. They say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're disgusted. They're disturbed with this guy who's proclaiming to be of God. They say, that's crazy. Jesus knows what they're saying about him. So he says this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go off after the lost one until he finds it. That's interesting language. Does not go after it until he finds it. Not to see if he will, but until he finds it. When he has found it, it's inevitable, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven. This is a common reference in this uh, type of literature, in this cultural moment to say of God. More joy in heaven from God 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Okay, listen to this. This isn't just about salvation or or justification or even relationship with God. There's specifics here. What does the shepherd do when he finds his lost sheep? It's probably the sheep's fault for straying, right? He's not worried about that. He picks the sheep up. He carries the sheep back. He rejoices, and then he invites everybody, and he says, let's celebrate, because what was lost has been found. That's how much this one matters to me. This one sheep, this one person is loved that much. And almost as if that wouldn't get the point across, because we're slow to learn, Jesus continues. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. There's no electricity, right? Here's a fire so she can see. She starts sweeping around uh, looking for the clanking of a metal sound. And when she finds it, again, not if, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell, I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels. Who's in the presence of God's angels? God. There is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Again, here's the theme, ready? For the second time, not only does God save, not only is he able, like we just sang, but he rejoices over you. He rejoices over you because he loves you that much. And almost as if we're slow to grasp this love, Jesus continues to to give one more example. He says this. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Okay, this is a big statement. In this culture, if there's two sons, they would be splitting the estate, the inheritance. The older would get a double portion, so two-thirds. The younger would get one-third. So the younger is asking for one-third, which in this case is probably a substantial amount. But to do so, typically, you don't get to that inheritance, your part of the estate, until the father dies. So to some degree, he's kind of saying, I wish you were dead. You mean nothing to me. I just want the money so I can go do my thing. Like that's a big relational defining moment, right? That would probably make the father angry. So the father distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, doesn't take long, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country. Again, he communicates very clearly, father, family, you mean nothing to me other than what you've given me for money, and now I want nothing to do with you. Where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Okay, so now there's these implications of the, the Jewish religion, of the Jewish following of Yahweh God. This is saying in, in terms of squandered and foolish, like he did everything despicable. He walked away from God. He wanted nothing to do with God, okay? Or he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Feeding pigs here is incredibly symbolic. These are unclean animals. Not only does he have to feed the pigs, he wants to eat their food. So to eat the food of pigs takes it down a whole other level. This would make him unclean, which totally, as if he weren't already separated from God, separate him. He can't enter the temple. He cannot be a part of the Jewish culture being unclean in this way. 
when he came to his senses, maybe this has this idea of repentance. I mean, he's at the ultimate low. He said, how many of my father's hired hands have had more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Okay, this all comes back to identity. The son no longer views himself as the son. He no longer has that relational right. Instead, he says, I'm just hoping that my father will take me as one of his hired hands because at least they have food to eat. So what's that son's expectation when he sees his father? He's not expecting something good. He's not expecting to be welcome. He's not expecting to be embraced. He's probably expecting one of two things, either anger or total just denial, like beyond emotion, dead to me. Do you ever feel that way when you process how God views you? Do you ever ever expect that as you approach God? That he's angry with you? That he's not going to welcome you? That maybe he's just forgotten you? He wants nothing to do with you. Is that something you feel, something you experience? So he got up and he went to his father in verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, maybe just maybe this means that the father's looking already. The son didn't get all the way there, but while he was a long way off, maybe that means the father's looking and anticipating and hoping because the love never stopped. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He didn't wait. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just in case we have any misconception, the author's making it very clear. Identity is not as the son. He's not worthy. He doesn't deserve it. He knows it. But the father told his slaves, Quick. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. That's probably either the father's robe or the robe for the guest of honor. Put a ring on his finger, which symbolizes the authority of the family and the father, and sandals on his feet, which only free men could wear these sandals. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. That's not an every night occurrence. And let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? Celebrate. See, oftentimes we, we think of God in terms of just function. What does God do for me? He saves. Great. And that matters. But God doesn't stop there. He celebrates over you. He rejoices over you because he loves you that much. This is why Paul, when he writes to the, the church in Ephesus, he, he says this, I pray that the Spirit would give you power to grasp how great and deep and wide and immense the love of God is. Why? Because we forget really quick and because Satan does not want you to know how loved you are. Look at verse 2 of Colossians. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Why do you have to stay alert? Because Satan prowls like a roaring lion seeking to deceive. And the last thing he wants you to know and experience and feel and understand and grasp is how loved you are. That God rejoices over you. And that's not going to stop. 
And it's not because of anything you've done to earn it. It's not because of any religious rules or regulations you followed. And it's beyond anything wrong you've done. I mean, the son said to the father, please just die. That's pretty significant. Yet the father rejoices. This is good news. That is so good, Paul says. I am required to speak it. It's good news that can't be shut up. It's so good that he, that he can't not talk about it. N.T. Wright puts it this way, and I think this characterizes a lot of us at times. Can we go back one? Here we go. God, in his gentle love, longs to set us free from the... Pr- I think there's one... Is that it? Nope, that's it. Sorry. God, in his gentle love, longs to set us free from the prison we have stumbled into. The loveless prison where we refuse both the offer and the demand of forgiveness. We are like a frightened bird before him, shrinking away, lest this demand crush us completely. But when we eventually yield, when he corners us, and God does that, and it's kind of scary, and finally takes us in his hand, we find to our astonishment that he is infinitely gentle and that his only aim is to release us from our prison, to set us free to be the people he made us to be. But when we fly out into the sunshine, how can we not then offer the same gentle gift of freedom, of forgiveness to those around us? That is the truth of the resurrection, turned into prayer, turned into forgiveness and remission of debts, turned into love. It is constantly surprising, constantly full of hope, constantly coming to us from God's future to shape us into the people through whom God can carry out his work in the world. That's the picture of this church. It's not this building, but it's a people united in our following of Jesus who are grasping this good news as so good we can't help but to share it. We're required to offer this, to allow people to know about it because it's so good. It would be so wrong to not. In 1 John 3, 1, it's described in this way. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. That's beautiful. This good news, this mystery in Christ is global good news. It's personal good news, and it's eternal good news for this reason. Once Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, that is not going to end. Nobody will triumph against it. This love that you've been offered by God through Jesus is forever. This is eternal good news. And beyond that, it's immediate good news. In John 16, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says something really crazy. He says, it's better if I leave. It's better for you if I leave. Now that doesn't make sense. And then he says, because I'm going to send the comforter, the counselor, the spirit to guide you and to speak, to be with you. And so here's the the immediate hope, the immediate good news is that in the midst of marriages that are hard and broken, the spirit is with us to guide and lead if we're willing to listen and not quench the spirit. In the midst of cities where there's brokenness and injustice and abuse, the spirit is alive and well in the church and it is our job to rise up and to communicate and to give this love to the world around us. There's a reason the wall says broken stories becoming beautiful because everyone understands a broken story. Everyone wants it to become beautiful. 
but Jesus is the only way. And it's our job, it's our responsibility to carry the name that brings this good news. What if we lived like we actually knew we were loved this way? I think it would look different. Like what if we actually grasped this love? How would our relationships look different? I think there's a saying that says something like, those who have been loved well, love well. Those who have been loved well, love well. We've been loved well. And so if we can understand the abundance of this love, that it's for the world, that it's for us, and that it's never going to end, and even that in the immediate future the Spirit is with us to guide us, then out of that abundance, that should change our relationships. We can seek to to give freely and in abundance, to be gracious, to forgive, to assume the best, to seek the best in our marriages, in our parenting, in our other familial relationships, in our vocations. We can give the best because we've already been given everything. Now, that doesn't deny that there's still hurt. There's plenty of hurt in this world. But we go back to there's global hope that will last forever in the future. There's immediate hope in the spirit now. And I know that I'm loved because God doesn't just save, he rejoices. And don't listen to any other lie. And don't make the mistake of thinking that Satan does not want to lie to you. Verse 5, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. The gospel is good news, and I think one way to think of it is that it should smell and taste like good news. You can go to a restaurant and it can just smell good. There's an aroma and you go, I can't wait to eat this meal. And then you taste it and the taste matches the aroma. It's kind of similar with what Paul is saying here. He's saying, be wise in how you act and be gracious and seasoned in salt with how you speak. They go together. Here's the thing though. Oftentimes the aroma and the taste don't go well together for us as we reflect who God is. They might smell good. But as people actually see how we live, they go, or maybe the words we say, they go, oh, that does not taste good. And so I think a question we should all ponder is this. By the way you live and act and handle your resources and relate to people, not just in this building, maybe least of all in this building, but in your families and your vocations and the everyday stuff of life, do people see, hear, and taste good news? Or are they left with a bitter taste in their mouth? That's significant because the world needs to experience and understand the love that only Jesus offers, that he rejoices over them just as he rejoices over you. I was, uh, well, I was thinking about this, so I looked up, like, what are some of the worst products ever created? And this was one that, that came up. Oh, Cheetos lip balm. That's just disgusting. I mean, I can't imagine, like, getting that and putting it on my lips and being like, hey, babe, how about a kiss? That's not going to go good. That's nasty. I think, though, here's what we end up doing. It's really fascinating. I think we actually approach, like, that would be hard to sell. That's not an easy sell. (laughs) Cheeto lip balm. 
But we actually approach the gospel as if it's a really hard sell. We actually don't grasp how good it is. We think, man, I'm going to have to be really creative and I'm going to have to do a ton to kind of make up for God. That's actually how we approach it. Because I don't think we actually grasp how good this good news is. Maybe because we don't understand what the good and the good news is. I was told this week that one time Homer Simpson returned from a, uh, a trip with a suitcase. And someone asked him, where did you go? And his response was Christian camp. To which they were surprised. And they're like, why did you go to Christian camp? He said, so I could learn how to be critical. And you go, hmm, that's fascinating. That says something. Probably because it's true. See, I think we're oftentimes really good at critiquing culture. What's wrong with it? Which we should be aware of. God says he's going to come and, and bring justice. He's going to rid the world of what shouldn't belong. That's part of his promise. But I think more than that, what we should be good at is explaining and painting a picture for people of the good that God has given. That's where I think the emphasis needs to be placed. We're good at telling people, hey, you shouldn't be living together if you're not married, my friend said. But we're not so good at saying, here's the beauty in marriage and in God's design. Paul Tripp uh, speaks on on words, speaking about this, this passage in Colossians. He says this. Couple more back, actually. Other way. There isn't anything else? All right. I'll read it here, maybe. He says, if I'm going to serve another with my words... Paul says there are three things to consider. One, I must consider the person, only what is helpful for building others up. What do I know about this individual that would shape what I say? Two, I must consider the problem according to their needs. What is the person's real need in this situation and how should it guide what I say? Three, I must consider the process that it may benefit those who listen. I am not just spouting off. My communication should have a redemptive purpose. It should benefit the listener. Frankly, in our own strength, none of us are this nice. Sin makes us intensely selfish people. We instinctively think about our own needs and wants. We are primarily committed to our own welfare. But as we humbly admit our selfishness, we can begin to appreciate and rely upon the enabling grace of Christ. He has broken the mastery of our sinful passions and desires. He does equip us by his spirit to speak as his ambassadors. We can speak out of a commitment to serve others with love. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time, seizing every opportunity to share this good news. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. My, my friend wrote this. We had a, uh, an exciting meeting on Wednesday here in the, the lobby, our first meeting with our, our elder candidates, which some of you have been wondering about, which is just really just grace-filled, a blessing to me, something I'm so excited about to be joined with this men, these men as we prayed with and for you and are thinking about the vision and what's next for this church. And, and out of that, one of them wrote this in reference to, to the utilization of words 
And it's the example of Jesus. It says, for speech to outsiders, consider Jesus. And this is about the woman at the well. He shouldn't go through Samaria. He certainly shouldn't talk to a woman. And so if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, which is uh, the, the Jewish people are opposed to at this point, right? And he's at a well. To ask for water in this case could actually be really considered to, to have some sexual connotations. And so that paints the picture. He shouldn't go through Samaria. He should not talk to a woman, and definitely not one who's been married several times and is currently living with someone she is not married to. But here Jesus is. What would people think if they saw him or heard him asking for a drink of water? You know he's really going to tell her how much of a sinner she is. But no. In grace and love, he opened her heart and told her all about her life. He let her know there was a new way of worshiping. This had such an impact, she went and told others. What would we have said to her? If we would even talk to someone like her. Such is the mercy of Jesus Christ. What kind of love is this? I love that picture. That's who Jesus is. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. We need to remain thankful to remain aware of what the good and the good news is. And we have to be alert, being watchful, watching out for Satan who I said is prowling like a lion, seeking to deceive and destroy. You are loved immensely beyond what you can imagine. And salvation doesn't stop there. This God rejoices over you. This God rejoices over you in every moment, in every situation, when it feels like it, and when it doesn't, he rejoices over you because he loves you that much. Out of that abundance, out of that security and identity, we're called to live out this love, to reflect his character and his name. The good news is global, it's personal, it's eternal, and it's immediate. And it's news that's too good not to share. And so may we, as the people of Restoration Church, share this because the world desperately needs it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love, that it surpasses all understanding. God, for that reason, I ask for myself, for my family, for the, the family that this church is, Lord, that you would give us power through your spirit to grasp your love. And as we do grasp that love and it penetrates our hearts and overwhelms us, as your spirit just guides us, Lord, that out of that abundance we would love, that you would free us from worrying uh, about us, from worrying about the things that, that come up in life and rather just to worry about what you want us to worry about, to focus on what you want us to focus on because we can trust that you are good, that you are always there, that you always will be there and that your love is forever and always. We need you. We love you. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to, to worship, we worship in our response every week. And so uh, the first way to do that is to reflect on the love of God and what that means in your life today and this week. The second way that we worship in our response is by taking communion. And so there's one station here and three in the back. And as you take this communion, whether that's by yourself or, or with your family or maybe your community, um, your restoration community here, as you take the bread and you dip it into the cup, 
and then you take it in, you're recognizing how loved you are and that that love will never end and that that love will never fail and that you are in Christ and the Spirit is with you all moments at all times. And then lastly, if you call Restoration Church home or you want to, to give, there's two boxes you can give to or at in the back of the room or there's instructions on how to give online if you'd prefer to do that in the, the card in front of you. Let's continue to worship our God now in our response.